Amen. I hope uh, many of you were able to be here last week. Uh, I gave a message last week that I really feel is, is, is one of the most important messages I've given in, a, in at least a very long time. Um, it's been absolutely transforming myself. Uh, I, uh, this whole series, it's, it's, uh, and if you haven't listened to it, there's a little, little uh, nudge for you to. You can go on uh, our podcast and listen to it or YouTube and listen to it. I highly encourage you to do that. Um, what I talked about was the fact that during the fall, we took on the nature of Adam. Uh, Romans 5 is very clear about that. That by one man's transgression, the entire entirety of humanity was affected by the one man's transgression. But by one man's sacrifice, the entirety of humanity was affected. And we have, we have a tendency to, to have one foot in the Adam nature and one foot in the Christ nature. When in reality, Jesus killed that old man, right? He killed that old man. It's done with. And we are fully in Christ. And there's a lot that that means for us. And I'm not going to go into it. Uh, I did a lot more last week. But we are fully in Christ. It's the revelation of who Jesus is. It's the title of this whole series, the revelation of Jesus. And, and here's, here's what I want to, I, I want to share this before I get into the meat of the rest of the message. Um, when I first started this, I told you about how this whole idea got started. And it got started in a prayer meeting uh, on March, early in March, uh, that we had here at the church. And often when I, when I lead a prayer meeting, I'll spend at least, uh, you know, 20, 30 minutes at least in prayer beforehand and just asking the Lord, where do you want us to go in prayer? Where, what direction do you want us to go? What, what time do you want us to spend this evening in prayer? And that morning, or that, yeah, that morning, uh, the only thing I heard was the phrase, the revelation of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus. So we got there that night and began just praying into that phrase that we would all have an encounter, that we'd all have the revelation of Jesus. And um, as we're in the middle of the prayer meeting, uh, the Lord began showing me things out of Matthew chapter 16, which is the story where Jesus is with his disciples and he asked them, who do men say that I am? Everybody familiar with this story? He says, who do men say that I am? Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah, a prophet of old. And then Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In that moment, Peter had a revelation of who Jesus was. Not, not too long after I began writing some notes and, and, and just hearing and from the Lord in that, Pastor Ron starts reading Matthew chapter 16 and begins commenting on the revelation of Jesus out of that verse and just confirmation. Um, and so I, I shared that with you when I first started this, this message. I want to clarify some things about that. I mentioned to you that the revelation of Jesus is going from having a knowledge about God to actually it becoming an experience and a part of who you are, right? So Peter followed Jesus long before he had that revelation. He was seeing Jesus perform miracles. He was following Jesus long before he had that revelation. But it was in that moment that, that he said that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that Jesus looked at him and said, man has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, right? So Jesus went from even knowing and watching Jesus to having a revelation, an understanding of who Jesus was. 
And here's what I want to clarify, and, and maybe you didn't take it this way, but I felt like it came across this way. I am not saying that unless you've had this dramatic, huge experience that you are not saved, okay? That's not what I mean by that, all right? Revelation, listen to this, revelation is progressive, right? Peter had a moment with Jesus, that's not to say he already didn't have moments before leading up to that moment. He had a moment with Jesus there where he gained more understanding and more revelatory knowledge of who Jesus was. And after that moment, you can read through the Gospels and see where Peter had other revelation moments and another revelation moment and another revelation moment. Revelation is progressive. I, I, we, Peter in that moment did not understand everything there was to know about Jesus. He understand another piece of who Jesus was. And I've had many revelation moments. In fact, during what I've been studying for this, this entire series, I've been having my own revelation moments. Most of this stuff I knew, right? I understood it. But when I, when I'm talking about revelation, I'm talking about, it goes from, a knowledge to an experience. It goes from, from knowing trivia about the Bible to it as actually changing the way I think and the way I live and the way I am, right? It goes beyond just knowing the right answers. It becomes a part of who I am. And that is not a one-time experience. Revelation is progressive. And we all in this room are at different stages and have had different moments of revelation with the Father ourselves. And those moments are incredibly important and we'll be growing in those moments throughout our entire life here until we fully get to see Jesus face to face for who he really is. Amen? And so I want to clarify. If you, and, and listen, and here's, here's the thing too I want to say about that. Revelation moments can be big, emotional, extraordinary, but they can also be sitting down with your cup of coffee at the table, just reading your Bible in the morning and something pops out and it completely revolutionizes who you are. It's not always a big emotional moment. Those are awesome when they come, but it can also be just simply sitting down and studying the word of God and he, the Holy Spirit, who's our teacher. First John tells us that the Holy Spirit is our teacher and that he just reveals another truth about God that completely revolutionizes who you are. Does that make sense? The revelation of Jesus. We're all progressing in it. We're all growing in it. Amen. I'm hoping this morning we get to grow a little bit more. Today, I don't want to just move on to the next revelation, right? I don't want to just, I preached last week, that was good, let's go on to the next thing. I want to actually uh, expand a little bit on this idea of why Jesus came and why Jesus had to die on the cross. Okay, so that's what we've been talking about. When we first started, we explained that Jesus came to reveal the Father. He came to show us what the Father is like. And then Easter, we had that Jesus is personal, right? That the act of Jesus was personal. It was for you and me. It wasn't for the masses. It was for you specifically. And then we learned last week that, that when Jesus died on the cross, it not only forgave us and cleansed us of sins, but it also killed the old man. We've already said it this morning. It killed the old Adam nature 
and brought us into Christ. Colossians says it a hundred times that we are now in Christ. We're no longer in Adam, but we are in Christ. Amen. That the old man is dead. That nature of sin is dead. And we actually carry the very nature of God himself. That we, it says in Colossians, that we are now in his likeness. That we are being made into his likeness. That is such good news, isn't it? That we are made in his likeness. Do you get that? It's not just head knowledge. You are made into his likeness. You are like God. You are like your creator. That is your nature. Amen? I believe, here, here, actually, let's, let's just read the scripture here. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Is everybody ready? Everybody awake? Who's got their Bibles, their physical Bible with you this morning? Raise it in the air if you've got your physical Bible with you this morning. Look at the age we live in nowadays. Okay, there's more popping up. All right. Nobody under the age of 30 brought a Bible with you this morning, I don't think. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hayden. You get a prize after the service. You get a little sticker. Pizza. Yeah, you get Pizza Shack. You get to eat lunch with Amber and I and Holly and Cameron. Huh? I... You get to eat lunch with Amber and I and Holly and Cameron. That's enough reward for you. All right. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. This is out of the Passion Translation. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father the father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. He chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself before he laid the foundation of the universe. When did he join us to himself? Before he even laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children. How long has it been his plan? Always. It's always been his plan to adopt us as his delightful children. Though through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. The same love he has for Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. Since we are now joined to Christ, we have, given, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. This super abundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing within us all forms of wisdom through the revelation of the anointed one. He unveiled his secret desires to us, the hidden mystery of his long range plan, his long range plan. I love that. Which he delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. When did the plan start? The beginning of time. And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages finally reaches its climax when God makes all things new in all of heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Before we were even born, 
he gave us our destiny that we would be or that we would fulfill the plan of God who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. Amen. We've been talking about the cross and why it was necessary and what all it had accomplished. In simple terms, I believe there are two facts that made the cross absolutely necessary. So we're going to break it down and make it simple. There are two things that made the cross necessary. And Chad, I apologize ahead of times. I'm already mixing my verses all up. So, so thank you. I mean, I'm sorry. Not thank you. There's two facts that made the cross necessary. Number one is the obvious. Sin. Sin made the cross necessary. Sin necessitated the cross, right? Let me scroll down here. Sin made the cross necessary. Sin threatened God's creation and his dream and purpose for us. We, we talked a lot more about this last week, but it says in Romans 5, 17, it said, death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of the one man, death reigned as king over all of humanity. But here's what, we, I think we all have a pretty good understanding that sin necessitated the cross. That because of sin, because of Adam and Eve's fall, that all of humanity received the nature of sin and therefore necessitated the cross. But I wanna say this, Sin goes much deeper than just disobedience. Sin goes much deeper than just wrongdoing. That Adam and Eve's fall actually happened before they took a bite out of the apple. That the fall did not take place just when they did wrong, but the actual doing wrong is a symptom of a much deeper issue of sin. It's a much deeper issue. What is that issue? The issue became when they listened and believed the lie of the serpent over the truth of God. When the serpent came in Genesis 3 and begins talking to Eve, and Eve says that God gave us this entire, this entire garden and he said, we can eat of any fruit except for that one. Because Jesus, or God said that that tree, eating of that tree would bring about death. What does the serpent say? He looks at Eve and he says, did God really say that? He says, he said, let me just read it. He says here in, in verse 3, he says, uh, you certainly won't die, is what the serpent says. He said, God knows that the moment you eat it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The fall happened when, they, when Adam and Eve believed the lie that God was withholding from them. The fall happened when they believed the lie that they weren't already made in the likeness of God. What does Genesis say? Genesis says that God created man and, and man and woman in his very image and likeness. But the devil comes along and the serpent comes along and he says, he says, 
God knows that when you eat this fruit, you will become like God. And in that moment, Adam and Eve believed that God was withholding good things from them. And therefore, in that moment, when they believed the lie, that was when the fall actually happened. Because once they believed the lie, then once they believed that lie that God was withholding good things, God was withholding pleasure from them, then they begin having to seek out their own pleasure. They begin having to seek out their own satisfaction when they believe the lie that they couldn't receive the fullness from God himself. And the response to that, the symptom to believing that lie that God withholds was to take the fruit and to take a bite. Sin is much deeper than disobedience. Sin is believing the lie that God is withholding from you and that you have to seek out your own satisfaction and your own pleasure. That in him is not the fullness. That in him is not fullness of joy and satisfaction. Sin is believing that lie. And the symptom, the cause, the effect of that is then for us to seek out our own pleasure. And to seek out our own desires through sin. The fall happened way before Adam and Eve took a bite of the apple. Do you see that? The disease of sin is believing the lie that God is holding back on us, believing that he is unwilling to give us his fullness. So the end result of that is pursuing our own ways of pleasure. Bad behavior is merely a symptom of the disease of believing the lie. Bad behavior is a symptom of the disease of believing the lie. Are you all with me? We have made sin wrongdoing. But doing wrong things is merely a symptom of the much deeper problem, believing the lie about sin. And what happens, what happened to Adam and Eve when they believed that lie? They were living in paradise, right? They had joy evermore. They were reaping the benefits of knowing a good God who gives them everything that they need. But the moment they believed that lie, immediately fear, anxiety, panic, uncertainty, a longing inside of them began to develop the moment they believed that lie. I remember back when I was a young kid, we're dealing with this some now with, with our own kids, but I remember going to bed at night, laying there in the dark room, trying to go to sleep. And I, all of a sudden I started having these thoughts and these images of of monsters and, and uh, I, I grew up in church. So my monsters were always the devil, right? My monsters were demons. Like I was like, demons are going to eat me in my sleep, right? I was terrified. And I remember laying in my bed with the covers all over my head, swimming in a pool of sweat, but unwilling to take the covers off because of my fear my panic and anxiety that was all birth out of the lie of believing that there was something trying to harm me. That, that fear, that lie actually took away my rest. It took away my freedom. It took away my joy. It took away, it took away my, my assurance because I was believing a lie that was untrue. 
And this is exactly what happens with Adam and Eve, and it's exactly what happens with us. That, that the lie of believing that God is withholding good things from us causes us to be in fear and panic and anxiety, and it also steals our freedom, it steals our joy, it steals our certainty and assurance that everything's going to be fine because we have believed a lie that God is withholding from us. And remember the first week that I, I spoke to you about this topic. And I said, Jesus came. Why? Anybody? Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus came to unveil who the Father was. So, Adam and Eve fell, centered into the world. Anxiety, fear, panic happened. We believed the lie that God was withholding from us. Then Jesus shows up on the scene, right? And he says that I am here to reveal the Father. Let me tell you a little bit about what Jesus has to say. What Jesus begins to tell us. Jesus says in John 10, 10, that he came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said in Matthew 7, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your Father in heaven give good gifts to us? He says in John 16, he says, ask anything, anything in my name, and my Father will give it to you. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says things like this. It says, you have been enfolded into the family of God. You are God's beloved child, and since we are his true children, we qualify to share in all of his treasures. Let me say that again. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share in all all of his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided we accept his suffering as our own. That, that we are in the family of God, and because of that, all that he has is our inheritance. And it says we are co-heirs with Christ, meaning everything that Christ inherits, we also inherit. Then Ephesians 1, we already read it. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father. Every spiritual blessing. So we believe the lie that God withhelds. And Jesus comes to reveal the Father. And what does he tell us? He says, everything that the Father has is available to you. That he is not the God who withholds, but he is the God who gives super abundantly beyond everything we could ever think, imagine, or ask. That every spiritual blessing has already been given to you in the heavenly realm. That we are heirs and co-heirs with God, with Christ himself. That we are part of the family of God. He is not the God who withholds. He is the God who gives everything that he has and everything that he is. So much so that he gave his only beloved begotten son. That there was nothing off limits to God to give us. So much so that he sent himself in the form of Jesus. That the son came and he sacrificed himself on the tree and gave fully of himself to rescue us. 
Sin is believing the lie, is rooted in believing the lie that God withholds. And so we have to look elsewhere to find satisfaction. And Jesus came and he said, that's absolutely a lie. I've come to give you everything of myself. And you don't have to look anywhere else to find pleasure and joy and satisfaction and assurance and safety and security. It's all found in me. It's all found in me. So the first thing that necessitated the cross was sin. The sin of believing the lie that he withholds. What's the, what's the other thing? What's the second thing that necessitated, this, necessitated the cross? The second thing that necessitated the cross, that made the cross necessary, necessary is that before the foundation of the earth was even laid, God the Father had a dream to join us to himself. That before God ever laid the foundation of the earth, he had a dream inside of him to create man in his likeness and to have union with us and with him. And that was the other reason that necessitated the cross. It says in Ephesians 4, or Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 6, says he chose us to be, to be his very own, joining us to himself before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with unstained innocence. For it was always his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children. That the cross was never a backup plan that our adoption as children wasn't something he thought of later on, that before he even created us, this was his plan. So that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan gives him great pleasure. Listen to that astonishing truth that he planned to have you he planned to join you to himself before the foundation of the earth was ever laid. I want to say this to you. You are not a failed experience or experiment of God's. Let me say it again without stumbling. You are not a failed experiment of God. He did not create you and then go, oops, didn't expect that, right? Now I'm going to have to figure out how to fix this whole thing. That's not how it happened. Jesus knew before he ever breathed into the nostrils of Adam, before he ever formed his body and gave him life, he knew that the fall was going to happen and he still created humanity. It says, I've said this a thousand times, it says that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth was ever laid. That before we ever even thought about sinning, before he, he even made us and gave us a spirit and gave us life, he already had the plan to rescue us and to adopt us as his children. This was always his plan. This was always his plan. And let me say this, though sin was absolutely a fact that necessitated the cross. I believe there is even a greater reason for the cross. And that is 
his passion and his love for the dream of inviting us into the union with him. That sin was not the main reason for the cross, but it was just a footnote to the real reason for the cross, which was to adopt us and to bring us into union with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Isn't that the best news in the world? That God was so passionate about this plan that he was willing to go to the cross to enfold us into his family. Not just to cancel our debt, not even just to destroy the old nature, but to bring us into union with him. How many of you remember several months ago, I was talking about perichoresis, coming into union, the great dance of the Father, Son, and Spirit, that the relationship that they share with one another, he has actually invited us into that relationship, that we are invited into that dance. That was his plan from the very beginning. And that was the purpose, the main purpose, the main goal for the cross was to bring us back into that union, into that fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen? I'm going to end with this quote from a book that I've just began reading. And in fact, it would have helped me a lot last week to have this book. It's called Jesus and the Undoing of Adam. I found this book after I preached last week about the undoing of Adam. And there's some really good stuff. And one of my favorite things, not to pause and, and uh, well, I'll pause and promote this book. That's all right. It's 70 pages long, which is my kind of book, right? But I want to I quote from this book. From, the man's name is C. Baxter Kruger. Not related to Freddie. He's a totally different Kruger. <laughs> he says this in the book. He says, Jesus died because God the Father refused to give up his dream for us. And because the only way for those dreams to be fulfilled in the context of sin was by recreating the human race through death and resurrection. We often make the ultimate reason, this is me now, we often make the ultimate reason for the cross sin. But I wanna argue that through those sins certainly made the cross necessary. It is actually just the footnote to the primary motivation for the cross, which is the Father's dream for union with us, for union with you and me. The cross forgave us our sins. It united us into Christ and killed the old na nature, but it also allowed us to receive an invitation to be in union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to dwell in fellowship and relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which was the Father's dream for us all along. Amen? Why don't you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here in this moment, but I do want to take just a moment right now and allow this revelation to sink in. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to reveal to us the purpose, the motivation of his heart to be united with us.
that I want, I want to just pray two things. First, I want to pray that if we have believed the lie, if you have believed the lie that God withholds, that God is, is somehow withholding good things from you, that I want to destroy that lie this morning. The lie that is as old as the beginning of time. I want to destroy that lie in us this morning. And I want to declare to you that he withholds no good thing from you. That everything of himself he is giving to you. That, that there is every good gift, every good and perfect gift in the heavenly realm. He has made available to you. And that you don't have to walk around with fear and anxiety and uncertainty, but you can walk around with joy and peace and assurance because your father does not withhold one good thing from you. That he gives to you, that you are co-heirs with Christ, that everything that Christ has, the fullness of life that is in Jesus himself is inside of each and every one of you. It's available to you right now. So right now we just cancel that lie that God withholds. And I want you to live your life with your arms wide open. That whatever you ask of the Father, that it is his, it says in Psalms, it says that, that it is his pleasure. It brings him pleasure to prosper his servants. It brings him pleasure to prosper his children. So when you ask of him, he is willing and he is joyfully giving you what you ask. That if we know how to give good things to our kids, how much more does our father who is perfect goodness, how much more is he willing and wants to give us good gifts? He is not the God who withholds. He's the God who gives super abundantly above and beyond all we could ever think or imagine. So, Father, we break that sin, that mindset that you withhold, and we embrace the revelation that we are co-heirs with Christ. And all that is in you is ours. All that is in you is ours. I love this analogy with that. I can walk in to my mom and dad's house right now at this very moment, and I can get in their kitchen, and I can eat anything that's in the cabinets. Anything. And they won't throw me out. They won't call the police. Everything that they have is available to me. And it's the same way with our father. Everything that he has, his house is wide open. His door, front door is wide open. We can walk in whenever we want and we'll be met with open arms and a smile and invited into the kitchen to eat whatever we want in the house. That's how our father works. So Lord, we break that lie in Jesus' name, amen? The last thing I wanna pray for is that we would have the revelation that we have full access, full access to the union of the Father, Son, and Spirit, that we are not just onlookers of their union, but we are actually participants in the Trinity. We are actually uh their, their union is available to us and we have union with them. That I am in the Father. Jesus says, I am in the Father. The Father is in me and we are in you and you are in us. That his dream, the motivation for the cross was not just to cancel sin, but was actually to bring you back into the fold. 
to bring you back into union with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And my prayer this morning is that we would receive that revelation and then begin walking in that reality. That it would change the way we think and change the way we live and we'd begin walking in the reality that we are in the relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And it brings the Father great pleasure that we are in Him and He is in us. Amen? Father, we receive that revelation this morning. Let this morning be a revelation morning where it's not just trivia that we learned, not just Bible knowledge that we learned, but Father, it becomes a reality, a truth inside of us that alters the way we live and we think and we move and and the way we live our lives. God, I pray this in your holy name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you all so much for being here this morning. We love you all so much.